Hello, and welcome back to Box Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here by myself. No one could be bothered to be with me on the show. That's not true. All my regular co-hosts are busy for the second week in a row, which doesn't happen very much so that I get to do whatever I want. And sometimes whatever I want is just talking to friends of mine who have also come up with academic ideas. And this one is a little weird. So if you listen to the show a few weeks ago, we had a show where we talked about the ages of comic book superheroes. And as a sort of behind the scenes thing, the way that the ages of comic book superheroes came up was that friend of the show, John Dorowski, wrote me and said, hey, I'm working on this article and I need to like discuss this thing. Can I come on the show and we can just hash it out and we can talk about this and maybe it'll be interesting because it turns out that like even though comic book scholars tend to talk about ages of comics a lot, it's not really well defined anywhere. It's just sort of a vague thing. So we just thought we'd, you know, we'd work it out and help John with his article. And we had some feedback from that show. People liked it. People seemed to think it was informative. But after that show dropped, I got a, a text from another friend of the show, Andrew Dorowski. Now, if you've noticed that the last names are the same, it's because Andrew and John are brothers and Andrew's been on before. And he said, hey, we should do this with Disney, with the ages of Disney, because on one of Andrew's two podcasts, I, I'm going to say it wrong and then he's going to correct me, but he can't have an interest in yet. On Disney Animation Movie Essentials or Minute Essentials, I forget the name of the show. They've talked about the vaguely defined ages of Disney. And he said, hey, can Kester and I, Kester is Andrew's wife and co-host, can we come on and can we talk about that for a show? And I was like, hey, yeah, if you guys want to book shows for me, then I will just let every Dorowski sibling, of which there are 147, they can each book a show and then I don't have to do anything for like three years. That'd be great. So I invited Andrew on and then I thought, said, well, I want to finish this panel. So let me just go and acknowledge the people that are part of the show. We're going to talk about the ages of Disney. So first I want to introduce Andrew Dorowski, whose idea it was. Welcome back, Andrew. Hello. Finally, I'm the person who's yelling at their phone, <laughs> but I can actually yell at the host of the podcast. Oh gosh, we should explain. So as a little detail, and I've said this before, I've said it on one of Andrew's shows. Like the best part about podcasts is when you become a podcaster and you know the people on the shows that you listen to, you can yell at them and then like you pause the podcast and then you just text the people. So I've done this many times. And then Andrew's done this as well. Like it just like you're oh, clearly yeah. in the middle of an episode and you know, I'm just going to text from Andrew at like, you know, two in the morning of, okay, so I'm listening to you guys. Tom, and here's my thoughts. Have- and I wish <laughs> I was there, not for the whole episode, just for this little bit. This little bit. So, <laughs> in this so. case, it was, it, I mean, w- one permutation of how you identified our mm-hmm. podcast was correct. Disney animation minute essentials. Wonderful. Okay. So you said our podcast, because when you asked me if we could do an episode on the ages of Disney, you said, hey, Kester and I can come on and we can talk about this. And I said, sure, sweet. So then I texted you and Kester and said, hey, when are you guys coming on to do this? You want to do it next week? And welcome to the show, Kester. Kester, I didn't know about this. (laughs) Uh, I'll let Kester explain how she feels that story went. (laughs) (laughs) so i saw your post mav on facebook and i was like wait we're going on vox podcast when was this established so she sees the call for comments and is like oh wait what and so we should probably talk to mav and so i was like andrew do you know about this he's like oh yeah i've been talking to mav about it we're gonna do it sometime but 
the post made it seem like it was the so, next so, week. Sometime is now. <laughs> sometime is now. So I messaged no. you and I was like, do we need to do this? Thing? So I'm happy to be here, but I was <laughs> quite confused at first. Yeah, I was like, I don't know. I just, uh, it was like, I'll get to it eventually. And then it was like, yeah, well, there, there are many shows. If you go through our calls for comments, they're often written as though to say on our next show, we say that all the time. But if you actually pay attention, they're frequently not really the next show because it's sort of a, uh, it's very dependent on when we have time to write and when we have time to record order is vague and if the pandemic has taught us anything it's the time is an illusion so that's it that's where we're, that's where we're at but thank you for returning customer you haven't been on in a while so i'm happy to have you and I'm also andrew yeah sure <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool whatever you had a durowski on like two weeks ago so i, I know <laughs> i feel like durowskis are on all the time yeah, well, again, you have you guys have 147 people in your family. <laughs> get very confused. Andrew's just the youngest of seven, two of which will pod, one of which is a podcast host, and then John right. is your a frequent guest, especially of Fox Podcasts. Yeah, yeah, he's very often on on this show and very often on Protagonist. It's just, I, I hear John a lot on both shows, and I was like, so, you know, it's good. But anyway, we have a third guest. That's a first time guest because when the topic was proposed to me, which is, again, how all shows should work. Podcasts are great when they book themselves. I thought I know somebody who would be perfect for this. So I want to introduce Peter Bryan. Peter, welcome. Hey, glad, happy to be here. So Peter, I know from where many of the guests from this show come from, the Pop Culture Association, PCA. And uh, Peter has a very specific expertise on Disney, I would say, or at least I would say that. Peter, would you argue that you have a specific expertise there? Yeah, I brand myself as America's foremost expert on Donald Duck comic, partly because I'm pretty much the only one. <laughs> There's a few others, but, you know, but yeah, it's a very, very niche field, at least in America. And mm -hmm. yeah, I wrote a book that came out last year, two years ago now, about the translation of Donald Duck comic into German and the various all and artistic aspects of that process. But that would make you a Disney scholar, I would argue. In fact, you are the area chair for Disney Studies. Yes, I'm the area chair for Disney Studies at the Pop Culture Association, second year now. And I've had a, an interest in this for a long time. It just, you know, very young field that I think there's always space to kind of grow out and, you know, build something real as a scholarly community. So. This is the best kind of show for me. I don't know how it works for the listeners, but for me, the absolute best shows are ones where I know nothing and it just gets to be a learning experience for me. So that's what we're going to do today. And I guess where I'd start, because, because I really don't even know the answer to this other than vague references that I've heard you guys make, is if I were talking about comics, I would say there's a golden age, a silver age, a bronze age, a modern age. And then other vaguely defined ages. What are the ages of Disney? Is it even simple enough to just say there's a golden, silver, bronze, and modern, and then we can be done? And this is a five minute episode. That's the mm. answer, right? <laughs> Absolutely not. Definitely not. And definitely not if you're talking to Kestra and I, because we are different. We're definitive outliers in the breakdown. <laughs> we have reasoning behind ours where I feel like some people are like, oh, yeah, I believe it's this, but they don't, they can't back up why they think it's that. They're just like, oh, I think it's this. And then there's the terminology that's used with the different eras like there's some groupings that are pretty consistent yes but then some different terminologies that get used and it's like okay well we should maybe talk a little bit about like okay what should be the terminology that gets used for this particular grouping of films if it's going to be grouped together like this why would you call it one thing over another thing and, and all of that and there's one era that is consistent across 
like pretty consistent across like everything that we looked up and that's the renaissance era that one is everyone names it the renaissance and it's everyone has essentially the same films across the same years give or take like a film except for us we are the one outlier in in that and so so i think it's kind of because of the disney renaissance that all of the other eras have to be defined in some way yes is it just films that's my next question because like peter you definitely are a disney comics guy yeah but also there's i mean i like just if i think disney it's really easy to go okay we're talking disney and then i'm like okay and by disney i mean movies movies about princesses but that's really only like 15 films i mean it seems like it's more Mm -hmm. but it's not and then there's also other cartoons but then disney also made things that aren't cartoons apple dumpling gang and then there are you know the, i don't know if clearly you know this, the one live action disney film that everyone's going to get the everyone reference knows. to math that's right that's right absolutely but then there's also I don't, I don't know if you're aware of this but disney owns these parks that you know people mm-hmm. these little known amusement parks that disney happens to have and that's got to fit in right or maybe it doesn't right and then i'm thinking they also disney makes a lot of money by they happen to own these little otherwise indie films called Star Wars and Marvel. And so there's like a lot of stuff going on. So Mm -hmm. what counts as Disney here in this context? A lot of the time when you when you hear someone talking about eras for Disney, they'll talk about films, but you can talk about it in terms of other things. Mm -hmm. I'd say the most common thing is the animated films. So like the 61 now animated full length Disney films would be the main thing that people are talking about in like Disney film eras or Disney eras. But you could definitely do corporate or parks or. We're happy to talk any and all of it. We've been thinking about it. That's our prep. (laughs) And I have done a little research. (laughs) Which means a little research for Kester means that there's a 47 page document, which is always very impressive. (laughs) But yes, like typically that would be the case. Well, I mean, I think that's a very easy way if we really wanted to divide Disney. Walt is alive and Walt is dead. There's a, 1965 is a clear <laughs> line of demarcation for Disney that I think nobody can dispute that. Maybe we can just the debate, you know, sort of the can we film era. Walt is dead? But yeah, there's this clear we, line of Disney that, you know, it suddenly goes from what Walt wants to what Walt would have wanted that right. everyone yeah. has and a very for, different opinion on. Yeah. And so for different things, like, yeah, you could say, okay, up to 1960s, December 15th, 1966, that's Walt. And then after that, it's post Walt. It's post Walt. But then there's is that the day he dies. Wait, is that like just the thing that every Disney scholar knows? The it's, what, day? it's a thing that Kestra it's knows. It's thing that I know. Okay. <laughs> but but then there's like a little gray area where it's like, okay, these are the films or these are the things that Walt worked on and are completed mm-hmm. after his mm-hmm. after which, his death. Which is one of our like major sticking points with the breakdown in the animated films. But if we're talking about the company, then it's like, okay, there's like up to Walt's death. And then there's a post Walt era where things are pulled together by Roy and that gets like Walt Disney World completed. But then there's like, OK, now we're like post Disney Brothers. Yeah. Which what is-, is this company doing? And that really extends until the 80s. So so yeah, I guess so- at this point we're talking like the corporate you know, yeah. eras. You've got like Walt, Walt, like film studio and then Walt as like parks and entertainment more broadly than film studio. Including t- television at that point. Then you've got like the immediate post Walt with Roy and that goes mm-hmm. into into the 70s 71 or so and then you have this really 
weird space where they have no idea what to do and there's no clear vision and until you get to CEOs in that point that like no one really talks they to keep people. it going yeah and then you get to eisner and the eisner 80s left. and the disney decade and that is like okay disney is a powerhouse again mm-hmm. and that's a like that's like the next clear step post walt really where it's like oh this defines disney as a company and then you get to Iger and the what we call the acquisitions era yeah <laughs> and that's when they that's post pixar really is what we kind of say but it involves the acquisition of marvel and lucasfilm and fox Fox and and all of that we have whatever we're doing now which i feel like it started with in 2018 with the streaming kind of but it's kind of hard to define when you're in that era but even the acquisitions we could say okay it starts with abc it starts even earlier or right disney takes over Mm -hmm. for cloudstone comics in 1990 and it runs it into the ground there is you know even with there's all that's part of the point of disney there's all these we can draw lines and then there's well yeah but this or but that and it's exactly murky my my butt is even with the you know if you want to do just the animation you said there's before and after walt except for you know little trivia bit that i happen to know is that walt worked on frozen technically you know which happened mm-hmm. many years mm-hmm. after walt's death but he but it was an idea that he'd had right so i mean obviously it's been greatly mutated in the what was it 40 years between when you know when he started and when it came out but you know does that count as a walt like would you consider walt to be a creator on frozen does he have a credit i bet he probably does i don't know if i would count it because it changed so much mm-hmm. but like you could also say little mermaid because little mermaid was a concept that and beauty and the beast were concepts mm-hmm. that walt had come up with in like the 40s and then booked it shelved it so but like i all of those changed so much from what Walt's like original idea or concept was, I Mm -hmm. guess. But yeah, you're right. And so we tend to break it up. And this is where we one of the areas where we differ a lot from other people is we kind of break it up from like, okay, Walt is essentially the director of these films to Walt is essentially the producer of these films. And then like that's our dividing line. And we call that after Sleeping Beauty and before 101 Dalmatians is is like our breaking point for that is like, okay, Walt is basically a director through Mm -hmm. Sleeping Beauty. And then he's stepping a lot farther back and more focused on parks after Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. And they're like, oh, we're the only ones who break it that way. Yeah. A lot of people will break it up even further into three eras, three periods, three periods between Snow White and Sleeping Beauty. That's there's three periods there. And then then they'll get to kind of a similar. We line arc. up. We start to line up a lot with the Renaissance. Like, like we said earlier, the Renaissance is the most consistent, except for us wanting to. We want to take like in, in multiple of our era breakdowns. We want to take one film and say, yeah, but that belongs to the previous era. Like that doesn't fit in the Renaissance. That's the comics problem. I mean, it's gonna like it's not like there's a guy somewhere who's in charge of deciding eras, right? That's a, I said it's a comics problem, but it's also isn't that just, us? Isn't that today's job? Don't we get to decide it all now? <laughs> Maybe I mean, like, uh, uh, can you get yourself like a little badge or something? But I mean, because I'm just thinking this happens. Yeah, this happens like in 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 literary studies too, where we're like, is this the postmodern era? Is it modernism? Is it you know? We just it's hard to it's hard to make clear dividing lines there except that we're humans and humans like to have you know category buckets it's a thing that we do so we were we were doing our little research beforehand and we were looking up other people other websites breakdown of the film eras and one of them had labeled one of their eras 
something that we label ours that we had never heard someone else label it that. And so we Andrew kind of got like excited. He's like, did they steal from us? Are it we was, are we now creating something? It was TV tropes and TV tropes had some of the same terminology that we use, which is not consistent with like the terminology that other people use. I guess I should like explain for Kester and I, because we're doing a podcast where we're breaking down Disney movies and we're discussing them one one minute per episode. So we'll spend like 20 to anywhere from 20 to 50 minutes talking about a single minute of film. Mm -hmm. We wanted to break things up so we could bounce around from era to era. And so we weren't just going chronologically. Okay, Snow White and then Pinocchio and then you know Dumbo and Bambi. And it's like, oh, man, that's going to take us like sometimes we might get in a rut where we're not really happy. And we knew that was going to happen because these eras are kind of broken down. So he said, what if we break it up so that we can bounce around? And so for us, we functionally needed a definitive line to say, "Okay, well, we'll bounce around. And like, this is the movie that we will go to next as we progress through this cycle so we can bounce around through things. Because we're like, I don't want to go like 30 films before we get to the Disney Renaissance because people are going to want to listen to the Disney Renaissance stuff sooner than that. And so we had to break it up so that we could do that. But when we were breaking it up, we saw usually seven different eras identified and sometimes sometimes nine, nine. sometimes eight, six. Yeah. So usually it was around seven. We're like, I don't want to do that. Let's do five and let's (laughs) figure out a way to break it into five. And so we did. And it seemed really good for us, like to break it out that way. And so we've kind of stuck to that, that five, which is, you know, fundamentally just not the same as what anybody else has, but it's worked for us. And, you know, we have the terminology that we use for them, which some of them were more or less defined. I mean, everyone's going to say Disney Renaissance. So of course we say Disney Renaissance. There's, yeah. There's no way around that one, but most of the others, you have some flexibility about what you're going to call it. But then, yeah, when we looked at TV tropes and their breakdown, which they had seven different eras identified, they used the same terminology for two of them that we like to use as at least you know part of the terminology. And we're like, awesome. TV tropes is doing it. We feel way better about us using that, even though a bunch of other I made a spreadsheet where like identified (laughs) which different places were marking things at which points. And so, you know, WDW magazine isn't using the same terminology as us or the British Film Institute is using the same terminology as us and we're like okay well i feel pretty good because we've got crossover in these different terminology that we want to apply so all right that's the easiest thing to do is rather than going chronologically the one thing that you said that all three of you have said pretty much everyone agrees on mm-hmm. is that there was a disney renaissance so what does that mean <laughs> what is a disney I mean, renaissance so my answer to that is and i think that i think the renaissance is generally renaissance is 1989 to or 1999 to 10 years i think it goes back to 1987 because mm-hmm. of ducktail ducktail is there are gummy bears and the wuzzles before that but ducktales is high quality television animation and this also coincides with the release of classic disney on vhs up until that point it had largely been you know the re-release of the movies in theaters every three to five year made a lot of money that way and it's in this eisner era i think it's 85 is pinocchio and even then it's an 80 dollar cassette but they start mm-hmm. releasing them cheaper reaches a mass audience so we have this sort of transmedia, the arrival of home video, the arrival of DuckTales that predates a lot of people go, oh, Little Mermaid's the first one, but there's those films coming along at this time, and, you know, even something like Oliver and Company, which doesn't do as well as Little Mermaid does, but still is that high quality, what we might
might recognize this sort of modern Disney animation. Mm -hmm. There is this transmedia moment where Disney is almost firing on all cylinders because the comics are being revived at this time. Under Gladstone Comics, you've got the new Don Rosas. So there's a lot going on all at once, kind of starting in 87. It takes a few years, to, you know, it kind of takes a few years to really kick in and be noticed. But re you know, Disney reaches a whole new audience in this moment. That's how I grew up reading these comics. I grew up watching DuckTales and watching the, you know, our VHS copy of Pinocchio or Snow White. And that's, I think that's how most fan, most you know, modern fans, or maybe we should say fans of our generation, the Gen X and Millennials. Disney adults. Disney. Yeah, Disney, <laughs> the Disney adults come in this moment, somewhere in this period, seeing these things at home for the first time in a long time. I had not thought about the significance of the home video releases in the 80s to like leading to a transition of, oh, a new Disney movie now associating to kids who had watched something on repeat for the first time. They had seen right. Dumbo or Pinocchio or Snow White on repeat for the first time because of home video. And now Little Mermaid came out and they could be excited for it in a very different way. So I think that's, I think that's an interesting breakdown yeah. for it is to point to the mid 80s. And that's also when Eisner and Frank Wells came in, into the leadership of the company was in the mid 80s. Right. So it's interesting because Andrew and I, we are our eras that we break down. They typically follow like the technology of animation. And We're very like animation studio films focus. Mm -hmm. And so so we wouldn't have dealt with in our like mindset any any of the, the ducktails of it or, or the, the releases mm -hmm. and everything. So that that's that is a very interesting point. And I'd say our technology stuff is kind of incidental. We realized that today <laughs> as I was like looking at this again, I was like, hey, wait, this breaks across technology changes as well. Yeah. So with the Renaissance, yeah, it starts like Peter said, it starts typically people say at 89 with the release of Little Mermaid and mm -hmm. it goes till 99 with the release of Tarzan. That's where people will state it mm -hmm. ends and they kind of ignore Fantasia 2000, which is also at the end of 1999. Yeah, that's kind of like the gray area, like between eras is kind of just like, OK, where does it start? But it starts typically around the same point, especially for the Renaissance. But yeah, that's interesting to go to 87. It's a fair take, especially with yeah the company context and everything yeah, with animation films, which is what we cover. Uh, the animation department for films was going under mm -hmm. at 80, 80, the late 80s, late 80s. And like Mermaid was like do or die. It was yeah, like this is the hit one, or one chance or animation studios close like they were out of buildings. They were in trailers. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and we talk about a lot in like the production of The Little Mermaid. If you listen to the music for Little Mermaid, this is I'm going to like <laughs> pick a knit here about like the upcoming live action Little Mermaid coming out. I think the score for Little Mermaid isn't allowed to be played with like a full orchestra because when you listen to the little mermaid original stuff like alan menken had like 12 people and a synthesizer to put that music together and so when i hear the score for little mermaid like with an orchestra i'm like sounds too wrong good. too much <laughs> yeah he heard the first trailer the teaser trailer last year and was like why is this a full orchestra this is not okay <laughs> it's like oh like he has like two people on trumpets and that's all the that's all the brass that he has yeah but that goes into what i one of the research I went onto the Walt Disney Family Museum website and they have an article all about Dis the history of Disney music. And one of their breakpoints was Disney music renaissance, which starts with the release of Oliver and Company because one, Howard Ashman worked on it. And two, it's the first film to have more than like just a couple songs in right, it's a, musical. a long time. And Renaissance means like rebirth or like return. And so the phrase Renaissance is because we are returning to the 
class princess musical form of animation films. Can I say it is wild that we think of the Renaissance as like, yeah, Disney princesses. There's only three princesses yeah. before the Disney Renaissance. Right, right. And so it's like, it's not even like, you know, those classic Disney princesses. Like, you mean the, the three, three out of like 30 <laughs> films? The, like, Snow White, the 10%. Aurora, right? Yes. Yeah. Like Snow the 10% White. of well, what they've made? Yeah. Well, I think that's why, I mean, that's why Disney but, thinks that Oliver and Company is going to be their big hit. It, and it wasn't, it did good money, but they thought that was, it's animals. It's, mm. Okay, it's another animal movie. We've got Billy Joel doing music. It's going to be good. And it did, it made money, but not Little Mermaid money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And didn't, it, yeah, the history mm-hmm. of Disney films before the renaissance is like 50 percent talking mm-hmm. animals and yeah. like 10 percent princesses it's like okay so what is the legacy that we are recovering in the renaissance it's like yeah. it's princesses well, it's fairy tales it's like they've done like four fairy tales yeah it's just well but the thing with the princesses is that's a my understanding you guys probably know it's better but my understanding is that is a sort of a post after the fact oh, look, we've got a thing. We better start acknowledging this kind of marketing thing. Because if you look at the early mm-hmm. princess marketing, the very early princess marketing includes both Alice and Tinkerbell. And then they're like, oh, no, well, Alice isn't princessy enough, even though they would later decide that Milan goes there. And Tinkerbell, we can do a fairy line on it on our own, so we don't need that. And so, like, I mm-hmm. think there's a little back the and merchandising forth. Merchandising lineup yeah. of yeah. Disney princesses <laughs> becomes something in, in, like, the 90s and 2000s. And then right. and, it stopped. Right. And that's but that's like even but even that like it's happening 10 years after Little Mermaid. Right. So like 70 years after Snow White. Right. Like it's just it's 60, 60 years after Snow White. It's like you're adding these things that like, oh, after the fact, we've decided, well, we're going to we've got a brand here. So now we've got to keep this brand going. So yeah. then it becomes a big thing of how do we, you know, how do we integrate in? I guess, I guess we definitely can say Merit as a princess and, you know, and then we go, we need diversity. So we're going to count Mulan, even though that is not about royalty, you know, like that's, that's not that's a princess not yeah. story and, at all. And Moana. Okay, sure. I guess. Well, like, but well, then they at the parks, they had coronations for different princesses. And right. it, the last coronation was. Oh, I can't remember. Did they do it for Frozen? They did not do it for Frozen. And so it would have been um, so Merida It, it was Brit. Merida, but then they also coronated Elena of Avalor from Disney Junior, which was very odd because like only the Disney Junior people know what know that, what is, that is at all. Yeah. And so Frozen was just its own thing. They never cor- coronated Moana Raya, they're not doing that anymore. They're not doing that anymore. Yeah, and, and so my, it's like okay, so what is, is now yeah. the Disney princess? Well, because I don't think I don't think the official line includes, and this is things that I know outside of films because I I know you know I know pop culture branding. I believe they do not currently count Anna and Elsa as Disney princesses in the official mm-hmm. marketing no. line because Frozen has enough money on its own that it would right. like the thought is basically yes, we realize that these are literally movies about princesses literally made by Disney. However, we cannot cut into the Frozen marketing line by calling them Disney princesses. So even though they functionally are, they are not officially Disney princesses. Yeah, there, However, there's, Moana, there's, <laughs> yeah. I don't, think, Moana I don't know if Moana is she in is. every case. I the, It gets she's, so... She's, she's listed on the website. I checked. Oh, okay. Okay. If she's listed on the website, then we'll take That's, it. Yeah, Frozen, Frozen has its own brand mark. You know, if you mm-hmm. were at... I mean, they don't exist anymore, but if you were at a Disney store and you're buying yes. the toys, you know, they're going to have merchandising Frozen. brand marks yeah. in the yes. corner of the packaging. And Frozen has its own brand mark, which is distinct and separate from the Disney princess brand mark. 
that you would find. And, and yeah. that's different from the Marvel or the Star Wars and all of that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Frozen functions as a sub brand, totally separate from the Disney princesses. And, yeah. and you wouldn't normally see them in the same product. But you might sometimes if it's something that has like a bunch of Disney princesses, it might have Anna and Elsa, but it probably wouldn't. It's probably well, going to be right. The Wreck-It Ralph and Jasmine and yeah, yeah. the Wreck-It Ralph crossover includes all them. Of them in there because why not? You know, so, Esmeralda so used our, to be there too. She's not, she, Esmeralda used to be a Disney princess, but like, I, I think they should have a like a Disney heroines, heroines <laughs> which would include like Jane and Esmeralda mm, and, Megara. and Megara. And then that's where you would put Mulan and yeah, all the ones that are technically not Disney princesses. So, so as far as the Renaissance goes, the one thing that we kind of have a hard time with compared to everybody else is we don't want to include the rescuers down under because it's a sequel from the previous era because it's, huh. you know, totally in line with the previous era in terms of like, Oh yeah. Talking animals. Storyline. It, it's the same storyline as the previous era kind of stuff. And it's, a direct sequel. It's like, ah, oh, that doesn't feel like the Renaissance. No, it does use mm-hmm. caps, which is what. Yeah, it's a technological it, adjustment that started with Little Mermaid. What's but caps? Computer system, <laughs> computer assisted or production. I think it's, it's something about computer assisted. It's and, pseudo CGI animation that Breeding and the Beast uses. Yeah. And so we feel weird about Rescuers Down Under, but it's like, ah, you know, like you're not going to have a perfect blending all the time or a hard mark, like you said. But yeah, so the Renaissance is the most consistent one. Which way should we move like forward or backward from there to start talking about? No, I mean, I think it makes sense so to kind of talk if, about the I don't like the term dark age of Disney because it really is just black cauldron doesn't work. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, it was too dark. And yeah. Well, <laughs> but, um, yeah. So dark age or bronze age, you know, is going to be whatever predates the Renaissance, depending on who you talk to. There. OK, so, Peter, you just said like. It's often called that, but that's really just because of The Black Cauldron, which is a movie that, I mean, is it just, is it enough to be that, hey, there was one critical failure that makes it, is that enough to make an age? Because other stuff's going on, right? Like, and I, like, I've heard that term used, you know, the dark age of Disney, right? And you're talking about what you generally use. Yeah. What year does Black Cauldron come out? 1985. Black Cauldron's 85. 85. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm also thinking in this era of Disney, in the 1985 era you also have when well, it's actually it's earlier in the 70s but you have stuff like the black hole a movie which i adore but i don't think is fondly remembered anymore you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like like and that's you know not animated it, it, and it's very much a star wars we can do a star war and you know, you know like that's exactly how much effort i think was put into the film but it feels like to me disney is attempting to be a marketing force in the late 70s early 80s in the way that they would eventually realize 25 years later you know but like i like i like black cauldron is black cauldron bad or is it a swing and a miss you know what i mean like it's just one film it's one film right. that's not great are we in a different era of of Marvel movies just because people didn't like Ant-Man Quantumania as much as like well, wanted well we don't do. have to worry about it with Marvel because Marvel's pre-labeling yeah Marvel yeah. pre-label yeah. which yeah. is weird right but like yeah. most things don't do that yeah well, uh, so I don't know. the way the bronze or the dark age usually gets broken up is it's the films after Walt's death and before the renaissance starts that's where so the 60. usual line is and so that 66 goes till well they say 67 so the last film before the dark age is usually marked as the jungle, jungle book, book as that was the last one that Walt was alive during a significant chunk of the production for it and then you have in 1970 Aristocats then Robin Hood Winnie the Pooh Rescuers Fox and the Hound Black Cauldron 
Great Mouse Detective, and Oliver and Company. So most mm-hmm. of these are all animal focused, talking animals, anthropomorphized and animals. Usually not musicals. Usually not mm-hmm. musicals. We are a little different and we go a little bit earlier. We go to 101 Dalmatians in 61. Because that's where we break Walt's director versus Walt producer. Kind yeah, of. Walt producing. Like how heavy was Walt's influence and impact on it? But that also breaks with the technology. With 101 Dalmatians, they're doing the Xeroxing technology. Yeah. And for, I mean, this. I mean, and it this shows, is by the way. Yes. <laughs> you can, and this, you this can tell the into, Yeah. Yeah. And this is getting to our next season of 101 Dalmatians, which is almost finished recording. Someday I'll edit. <laughs> we'll get it out there really soon, hopefully. But it, that's where we break it off because Walt was not part of the production very often. He would. He, and, and he didn't love it. And he didn't love it. And he would very often have to like go over storyboards or scripts or animation sequences late at night when nobody else is there except his secretary. And then his secretary would get notes from him and pass it on. And at that point, Walt essentially wasn't running an animation studio. He was running a multifaceted company. Yeah, you know, he was, he was doing really television. focused on the parks. And, he was and he Walt. TV. And then he was also focused on the parks because Disneyland was open at that point and he was starting to plan the Florida projects. And so at that point, his focus is not on the animation films. And that's why we go to 61. But that dips into what most people would call Silver Age. And therefore, we use the term Dark Age for this pre-Renaissance because we can't say bronze because we don't have silver because we blend Mm -hmm. silver and previous eras into what we call classics. We'll talk about that in a second. And we say Dark Age because it's also it's post Walt. Like this is the era when company wise, it's okay. what's happening? Where are we going? Okay, so that leads me to a question. And I know for Andrew and Kestra, and again, it's because your show is literally following animation. That's the point of your show, right? Mm -hmm. So you guys tend to be animation heavy. And Peter, you made a comment earlier earlier about you know what people think of as like the renaissance era for instance and you're defining it as you know what now adult fans of disney people who were raised on disney are sometimes derisively called disney adults that's more of the park community i think in modern days but that's something that that disney fans like but you're talking about people who are and i don't want to get into the cumbersomeness of using these terms but effectively millennials millennials and maybe older gen Zers, you know, somewhere in there. And you're talking about those people, but I'm a little older. So during this dark age, and I just pull up, you know, there's the films of the 70s. And Kester mentioned, like, you know, the, you've got Aristocats in there, you've got Robin Hood in there. So you've got the, they're making animated films, but this is also a time when, I mean, I made the joke about the Apple Dumpling Gang comes out. That's 1975. It's a movie that I just remember from when I was a kid. But also one of my favorite movies and several you know, series of movies when I was a kid was I love the Witch Mountain movie. So you have Escape from Witch Mountain. Oh. You have Herbie Rides Again is in 74. Mm-hmm. You've got Bed Knobs and Broomsticks comes out in 71. There are there's the Shaggy D.A., which is the secret to the Shaggy Dog. Shaggy D.A. is 76. And Shaggy Dog. I can't remember exactly when that is. But there's all these there's all these Herbie movies, Witch Mountain movies. Uh, Friday, Black Hole, you mentioned. Friday. Tron yeah. is in the 70s, yes. 80s period. Yeah, these are all it's it's yeah, Freaky Friday is 76 as well. These are all films that oh, Pete's Dragon, kind mm-hmm. of animated, but also mostly mm-hmm. live action. And these are all movies where Disney is trying to become the multimedia entertainment ent- empire that they are in 2023. Like there's a dedicated move. It just doesn't work. Like it's no. not, mm-hmm. it's not their fault that they weren't good at it. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, I mean, I say that as a man who's 48 years old now, who is fully aware that when I was four years old, I thought Return from Witch Mountain was brilliant. You know, I was like, oh, this mm-hmm. is great because I was four and they weren't trying to get a 48 year old man to like that movie. They were four. I was probably a little young, even though I liked it. But like the Witch Mountain movies are made for seven year olds and they are, you know, for a seven year old in the 70s. They're great. So is that part of this? Like, it's weird to call that the dark age because I honestly do have fond memories of, you know, I like I don't know if I have fond memories of the dumpling apple dumpling gang. It's just funny to say. I remember watching it with my mom and I remember my mom liking it, it was one of those movies that like felt very family oriented because, hey, this is goofy and kids can watch it with their parents as opposed to the Witch Mountain movies, which are, you know, my mom would have had no interest in that. That's just an action movie for kids. Well, and I think that's a you know key point that Disney Cat live movies. actions are sometimes more memorable than some of the, you know, I don't know too many people that would say the original Rescuers is a favorite or, you know, Aristocats is, is deeply problematic now for reasons of pretty racist caricatures in there. Yes. Herbie, yeah. Herbie, you know, mm-hmm. people know, or, I mean, you've had the remakes of Lindsay Lohan, people know that, but people know Freaky Friday, people know Tron, you know, Tron, mm-hmm. they're still trying mm-hmm. to make Tron work and... <laughs> You know, but I think that's I mean, a they're key. opening a, an attraction at Disney World for Tron right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, cool. And they've signed; they're making a third one. Apparently, they're they in pre-production. Yeah. That's the Is plan. They... <laughs> so there's that... definitely like times where the live-action movies have more sticking power, or there's yeah. you know very clear memories of them. So if it gets to that, I don't know if we can call it the dark age. Yeah, I don't know if dark is even the right terminology in general. I don't I think that would have to get into the era of just calling it the Bronze Age or going by CEOs and being like this is post-Walt. Yeah, post-Walt, post-Roy. This is the post-Disney. When does Eisner take over? Not until 84, I think. Okay, so those are the ones I mentioned are pre-Eisner. So most everything that I mentioned is in the pre-Eisner area. Yeah, so it's from 70 to 83 would be the post-Disney. Post-Disney Brothers, I think. I think Roy E. Disney is involved somewhere yeah but it's you know so if what well, it gets tricky because like everyone thinks of walt but walt was never the ceo he was just president but there's waltz and there's roy then if we get to ceos after roy in 71 it's don tatum and then from 71 to 76 and then card walker from 76 to 83 and at this point most of the people ended up being ceo and or president yeah at various times they were switching around yeah. and everything and that's just like corporate stuff yeah all of these have mm. been were president and ceo and then ron miller also from 80 to 84 and then after that is Michael Eisner in 84 and at that time Frank Wells was the president so Eisner and Wells was the was like the duo that kind of rebranded Disney yeah brought it back into the renaissance did the Disney decade and and then Tiger took over after Eisner in 2005 so yeah this pre-renaissance i think bronze age is probably the best terminology for it and then in our case we need to say dark because we don't have a silver or a gold age in just like the way we break it down (laughs) and we talk so it doesn't make films in general so so yeah it doesn't make sense to to refer to it as bronze age when you don't have the other precious metals but the way most people break it down is bronze goes back to aristocats and then you have a silver age from jungle book back through cinderella but we have so 
So they'll have a Silver Age. A lot of them call it a wartime era. We think it's way better to call it a package film era mm. and then what a golden mean? age. What's a package film? A uh, package film would be so a little bit like Fantasia, but Fantasia is not a package film. So there's during World War II, we have a series of films that are all combinations of vignettes instead of a single contiguous story. Melody. So you have Saludos Amigos in 43, Three Caballeros, Make Mine Music, Fun and Fancy Free, Melody Time. And then the last one is Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. So you have the Ichabod Crane story and then you have the Mr. Toad story and those are packaged together to like technically be a feature film but it's a package of two to five or so different short stories during the wartime Mm -hmm. and at the same time part of the animation department is doing and like war films so why do you not count Fantasia there? because it's way before Fantasia is in 1940 and it's part of most people generally but you're not stylistically you say it counts except you're saying time period it's not in that area yeah yeah, stylistically it has way more in common with the packages because it's like yeah it's a package of animation and music together possibly with some story and everything and so a lot of the most common terminology for that chunk in in the 40s is the wartime films But we Mm -hmm. think calling them package films is a better branding because it goes from 43 to 49 and they're not about the war. So it seems weird to like Mm -hmm. peg them by the war just because they're the 40s. And when he's like, okay, but they all are definitely package films like that is a clear marker for them. They're the package films. You should just call them the package films. Mm -hmm. That's our rationale for it anyway. I think it's important that even Disney's war, the number of wartime shorts, the propaganda shorts that Disney makes is pretty small compared to Warner's and Fleischer's and the other studios. Yeah, they don't make Mm -hmm. nearly as many as they do. And it kind of peters out a lot faster. I don't think they they have one or two in 1944 and maybe not any in 1945 where there is this they downshift pretty quickly and just make, you know, getting back to regular shorts. So there isn't even, you know, that wartime production is not even that many compared to other studios. That I think is, you know, it's that misnomer of just calling it the war years. And so package seems like the best label for that, you know, mid to late 40s era. Yeah. But for us, we just group that in with what we call classic. So after before bronze, you'd have the Silver Age. In most cases, that's Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp. Sleeping Beauty, 101 Dalmatians, Sword in the Stone, and Jungle Book. But we make our break between Sleeping Beauty and 101 Dalmatians because of Walt's involvement, because it's like, okay, then we have, you know, a princess switching over into it's like, okay, this is basically animal focused from here on out. And Xeroxing. And the Xeroxing technology. So that's where we break it. And so we call everything before our dark age the Disney classics. And so that would be Snow White through Sleeping Beauty, which is 16 films. Everyone else breaks that sort of stuff into Silver Age, the wartime or package films, and then the Golden Age. And the Golden Age is only five films in the usual breakdown. It's just Snow White, Pinocchio, Fantasia, Dumbo, and Bambi, which feels like a weird Golden Age to me. To me, Yeah, that's too small. But then that- it, it goes immediately into those package films. And so there's such a clear distinction there that it makes sense to break those up. But it just well, seems so small to call it the Golden Age. See, again, I think it feels a little arbitrary to... Uh, yes, I get that they're that they are the as you call them the package films except that aside from the fact that it's four years so early too early so is fantasia right fantasia is Mm -hmm. a collection of shorter stories sewn together 
And if we want to, okay, so a movie, which I think is very interesting that like, I I think is academically ignored because of the popular criticism of it. Song of the South is 1946. Mm -hmm. It would be part of those package films, technically. Well, is it though? Song of the South is a cohesive narrative that has a couple of animated segments in that. I mean, it's during that era, but it's not, it doesn't, I wouldn't say that it is a collection of shorts the way that I'm trying like that three it's not like three caballeros and it's right, hard to right. talk about because it's one of those films that like is really hard to see because most people around today haven't seen it i have i've seen it several times mm-hmm. i have a copy of it <laughs> i'm <Yeah>. weird <laughs> but like it is but it is it, song of the south is a cohesive narrative a reconstruction era narrative about a guy telling stories and the animated bits that fit in there are bits about about brer rabbit and brer bear but they're very not they are all related in a way that i don't think matches what's happening in Three Caballeros or or in Fantasia or Mr. Toad. Those are all mm-hmm. very different to me than what happens in, in that era. But also that same time period has, I mean, Cinderella is 1950. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Are, are you, are, I mean, like Cinderella, I think people would probably count as a golden age Disney film with the exception of the fact that it just happens to be after that arbitrary cutoff, you know, of mm-hmm. it, it's nine years. It's not, this is not like going, this is not like making a distinction between, you know, the dr- Jurassic period and the try, tri- like this is nine years like Walt's still there you know mm-hmm. yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it's everyone's weird. still yeah. there and that's why right. we just group all of this together in, in classics because it's also like yeah the war happens during this time the animated films are all hand-drawn animation with multi-plane camera there's mm-hmm. Walt is still involved with everything but like Walt like the Disney company is still building at this point like mm-hmm. like yeah it's starting to become a household name but uh, with everything that they're doing but it's still they're still building they're not the Disney empire they're not mm-hmm. a fully huge multimedia company and they're still building and that's why like we just group all of this together because it makes more sense to us yeah and mm-hmm. yeah it's, it ends up being like the biggest group disney classics mm-hmm. for our breakdown from snow white through sleeping beauty is 16 films most of them are about 12 or 10 films and so it's like yeah it's a little bit bigger but otherwise you break it into like a lot of small like three smaller mm-hmm. things yeah. and like these feel weirdly small and not necessarily the most cohesive mm-hmm. and in, in our case it also makes a lot of sense because we're probably not going to do the package films by minute we'll do you know there's, by there's five films <laughs> there then it's like yeah we'll go segment by segment but we probably won't break them down by individual minute because they just don't have the like cultural resonance anymore the, the full-length features i mean there's people not a lot of written down for the the history of the mm-hmm. making of the film yeah people don't think a lot about melody time or make my music or fun and fancy free saludos amigos and three caballeros there's like there's some stuff because it's like yeah donald and the three caballeros like there's a there's something yeah. there but, but going minute by minute through all of those for us would just be it, it would a, not it be would, fun. it would be really <laughs> struggle well, so if we group those with the classics on either side then it's like okay that makes a lot more sense to us well i think there's a point to be made that a lot of you mentioned uh, song of the south that the Brer rabbit shorts sort of exist outside of the film itself and we get that you know the three caballeros and Celadus amigos have shorts in there that kind of have grown beyond that in a way that fantasia still is the cohesive piece but a lot of the package films have one or two shorts that kind of get play outside of that mm-hmm. even if the movies are kind of forgotten mm-hmm. that i think you know gets to that cultural impact 
Well, Song of the South even has like a lot of the popularity from Song of the South is from the characters existing at the parks because Disney won't show anybody the film anymore. Like, mm-hmm. I, like, like, you know, I mean, and, and now they're have, getting rid of them. Any the of you even, right, right. But have any of you even seen it? That's what I'm wondering. Like, because I mean, yeah, I've not saw it. I have a bootleg VHS that I got at a convention in same as me. Okay, so when you have I one, was yeah. little, my grandparents may have had a VHS copy of it because I know my grandpa. <laughs> enjoyed the film but i don't have any recollection of watching it or at least your yeah, grandpa it, remembered enjoying the film uh, he was yeah. a kid. <laughs> at least he remembered enjoyed it <laughs> right and this is a movie from 1950 40 something yeah so, so you know was a like child it, right right this <laughs> so, is a, yeah, uh, like uh, like how much do i remember enjoying it and how much does that enjoyment <laughs> what does that actually mean or, yeah like right hey i watched this movie i remember it therefore i enjoyed it or is it <laughs> yeah, like exactly i right. really liked it this movie but also when you're a kid you enjoy things that as an adult you're like why did i enjoy yeah. that <laughs> that's a nightmare yeah it's a movie from 1946 so it's almost 80 years old and mm-hmm. like yeah it, it is dated and has and problematic but i'm also thinking you know in this same period you're talking about treasure island mm-hmm. people have fond memories of that you count peter pan as being in here right peter pan would be in the classics yeah okay and definitely and one of my all-time favorites is animation Lady in the Trap, one of my favorite movies to this day. I love Lady in the Trap. So mm-hmm. I think that's 55. Um, in, in terms of live action, you get 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. You get The Shaggy Dog, Darby O'Gill and the Little People, Pollyanna, Swiss Family Robinson, Absent-Minded mm-hmm. Professor, Parent Trap. I'd say Parent Trap is a hard, hardcore Cold Stone classic mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. in the live action Disney stuff. I don't think and anyone also, would like argue against that. One's I mean, like, no, that mm-hmm. one's like rock solid. Right. Right. And also at the same time, you know, oh, the old yeller is in that is in that era as well. But at the oh, same Mary time Poppins comes out in this. Yeah. In 64. And you've got them opening the part like that's got to matter. You've got Walt doing making two very specific moves, building up his TV empire with little with the Mickey Mouse Club and with Wide World of Disney. And then you've got him essentially inventing the modern theme part. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. yes, that's it's huge. That, yeah. Yeah. That matters in a way that I think that I think we often tend to treat Disney, the park experience and Disney, the film experience as though they are two separate things. But that is literally the, you know, the concept of being a transmedia, you know, mm-hmm. pop culture empire is because he had both going on at the same time mm-hmm. starting in the 50s. Yeah. Yeah. Because in, in the fifties is when he starts getting like he becomes a household name. You yeah. everyone you see him on TV on a regular on basis. TV. Everyone mm-hmm. knows about Disneyland become being built. And this would be when they're doing like the Davy Crockett shows, the Zorro shows. Mm-hmm. This is also when we get like Haley Mills, like we said with Pollyanna and the Parent Trap. We also have the Sherman Brothers being involved, like all of these names that lots of people, not everybody probably knows who I'm talking about, but but are like, oh, yeah, those are the classic people. This is mm-hmm. when we all this whole this whole era is when Disney is starting to become Disney. They're not just shorts. They're not just full length animated films. They are doing everything, including getting into things that everyone's like, oh, you are risking everything by doing TV. You are risking everything by building. What is this? A theme park? What is that? (laughs) Like, yeah. Because it all like works out and so successful, the era that is getting identified as the Silver Age, especially if you're looking outside of just the animated films. It's the golden age. What is the golden age of the Disney company and the Disney history? It's the mid-century. It's the 50s and mid-60s, like through the mid-60s, because it's the parks. It is the TV. 
it is like you can't get away from this company. This is Disney. You're going to want to go here. You're going to dream about this. Like, like my parents knew about Disney stuff. This is the world's fair. Like my, this my, is the the biggest that Disney got until the nineties. Yeah. And so this is the golden age and it shouldn't be marked as the silver age, yeah. like arbitrarily because it's not first. My grandpa grew up in South, in South California and his mom was an inker and painter for Disney and his dad helped build Disneyland. Like the massive employment here. Well, you know, one of the other things going on in this period that people don't think about the best selling comic book in the late 50s into 1962 is Donald Duck and Uncle Screw. I'm a duck. You know, mm-hmm. we think of, okay, oh, you know, DC's, kind of, you know, they got the, Flash, the Return of the Flash. We've got this kind of the Silver Age and Marvel's coming along, but it's Donald Duck comics that are out and selling million, mm-hmm. millions of copies monthly. And Scrooge, which is hardly yeah. remembered anymore by non-comic yeah. scholars. I, so I guess we should, this is a little, this is a merger of the episodes, but we talked about a little bit about the Comics Code Authority and its power in developing what we call the Silver Age of Comics. After Seduction of the Innocent, this book by Frederick Bertham and the United States House of Representatives holds these congressional hearings on juvenile delinquency, and that causes the American comic book industry to self-regulate under the invention of this thing that they called the Comics Code Authority. There's a Comics Code Authority seal of approval that means that all the major comic book publishers agree to this list of regulatory rules that they would put a stamp on their comics. And if you didn't see the CCA seal on your comic cover, then you couldn't get your comic on a newsstand in America because this was a way of saying, hey, our comics are safe. So we had Marvel Mm -hmm. agree to this. We had DC Mm -hmm. agree to this. We had Archie Comics agree to this. We had all the major comics companies agree to this, except for Disney. Disney said, screw it, because they said, we're Disney. Disney. We don't need your stupid logo. Are people concerned that Scrooge McDuck is teaching kids the wrong stuff? That's the power and of so the they brand. never signed. So they never signed on. Yeah, yeah. brand was yeah. that powerful. Dis- yes. Disney didn't need and, it. And the Comics mm-hmm. Code Authority said, "Yeah, you're good." They did. They didn't. Nobody wanted to fight this. They said, "Okay, yeah, <laughs> we we trust you." Yeah, and it was literally just the brand was strong enough to say, "We are not subjecting ourselves to your regulation." And it was like a, "What's a newsstand going to do? Not sell Mickey Mouse and Uncle Scrooge and Donald Duck?" You know, like that was the attitude because they were that powerful. Yeah. Like we're Disney. It was like a transcendent amount of brand. And like not recognition, but just like brand mm-hmm. function. Like it was like its ego. own genre. Yeah. <laughs> it's ego. Like, like yeah, a yeah. Disney comic is its own product outside of mm-hmm. comic books. Yes. Okay. So that gives us everything pretty much before the Renaissance. Should we talk after the Renaissance? Please. Cause I they had questions about that. So yes. And you, you've all said, all three of you have said vaguely little mermaid. And then Peter gave the caveat, unless you go to TV, in which case you said duck tells mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I question leaving out gummy bears, sir, because I'm a man of a certain <laughs> age who loves, you know, they're dashing and daring, courageous and caring. You know, like, I guess I know the entire gummy bears theme song. But anyway, that said, you've got that era. And then you all said it ends in 1999. Boom. Done. Why 99? Well, I think you, you like maybe could make a case that it goes beyond that. But I think in Tarzan's the end, because that's the last big successful, you know, win, I think it gets uh, maybe the last time they win an Oscar for a while for the Phil Collins song, but 
that moment where Disney ceases to just be, you know, something that special. It's this moment when we start to see Pixar become ascendant. Uh, DreamWorks is picking up steam. Yeah, we've got DreamWorks. Mm. We've got, but there's there's this moment of just attention shift. You know, I think that Treasure Planet has, is a very artistic and enjoyable movie. Absolutely, and has a, a, it's very much in line with the Renaissance. Yeah, but it's a box office bomb, and that's you know a lot of people. Mm-hmm. A lot yeah. of times when we're talking about the Disney Renaissance, we're talking about yeah they made a ton of money on movies, and there is this yeah, point a lot of they start losing. Yeah, a lot of this era are bombs. They they don't make a lot of money. They don't. They stop making musicals. They stop making musicals. A lot of people are like what is this disney has lost its definition of like what makes a disney film like like special versus a dreamworks film this is like in dreamworks is is definitely taking off we get shrek we get lots of different things there and Mm. it's like okay Disney has kind of lost its track and lost its thrive. I think this is also a point where like television is changing. And so like the Disney channel becomes Mm -hmm. one of the main access points for Disney content. And Mm -hmm. like most of these movies is like, well, I didn't watch this movie, but I saw a bunch of stuff about this movie on the Disney channel. Like the, like I was watching, you know, the Disney channel shows and the Disney channel original movies. Yes. Probably more than I was watching these Disney animated films in this time period in the early 2000s. And so, so, yeah, the it's a pretty consistent break from Tarzan. OK, after Tarzan, you get Fantasia 2000, but that's part of this new era. A lot of the sites label this as post Renaissance, which I think is a pretty dumb weak word. sauce term to, to use. I think <laughs> it's, it's dumb. It's dumb. Yeah. And so we call it experimental. And we also found that on the BFI and the TV tropes listing for this era is like, OK, we can call this experimental, which I think is fair. Like the first movie after Fantasia 2000 is Dinosaur, which is Disney's first fully CGI, not 2D animation, not hand-drawn animation. It's fully CGI, so this is an experiment. Then the Dipper's mm-hmm. New Groove, they do Atlantis, which is like... They're trying new they're, stories. They're trying new things. Atlantis is Some of just them, an adventure film. It's like, not a musical or a yeah. princess film. It's just adventure. Now, they weren't all great at the box office but then years later especially with streaming people were like oh this was a good film why didn't this make money like Ember's New Groove like Atlantis like Lilo, Lilo and Stitch was kind of always popular but Lilo, Lilo and Stitch, Stitch did not have the same success that other stuff would have Brother Bear was an attempt to do a musical Home on the Range was an attempt to do a musical Chicken Little Meet the Robinsons and then this is where it gets pretty fuzzy is there's a lot of discrepancy on where this era is going to end now some of them okay. are completely wrong with how they start the next era and some of them are like well, okay I can see why you start it there versus where so we start it yeah I, I think this one it depends on how you want to define it do you want to define it by ending this experimental era or do you want to define it by beginning the next era I that's where s- you're going to have like the most interesting kind of debate. I want to see a few things. Then. So, so listening to you guys and do you include the Pixar films from when Disney did not technically own them, but were pro- so early Pixar was often co-produced by Disney, mm-hmm. Disney, even though Pixar was technically a different company. Eventually yeah. Disney would just buy them out, but we should point out that Toy Story comes out in 1995, Toy Story 2, I want to say is 99. So this is that era. Mm-hmm. But those are technically Pixar films, not Disney films. I believe Toy Story 3, they brought them by. But they're technically, they yeah, they're technically Pixar films in their entirety. So when you say Dinosaur is the first 
Disney CGI movie. I mean, it is, except that because technically they did not actually control the production of Pixar of uh, of the of the Toy Story movies, even though retroactively, you know, now they're all the same company. So, so it's kind of weird, right? But also <laughs> that era, what you're calling the experimental era, would you count the Goofy movie? Because the Goofy movie comes out during then. The movie in '95, so that'd be back in what the Renaissance. It? Oh, is it and okay? So, yeah. an extremely Goofy movie would have been in the experimental. Yes, era, the sequel. Goofy okay. movie is also not the Disney animation. It's Disney Toon Studio. Studios, which does all of the sequels in the yeah, late did, '90s, they, the early TV 2000s. And the direct-to-video sequels. Okay, okay. Uh, so those sequels are ooh. But yeah. Okay. All right. Okay, Do we so, want to talk about Goofy Movie on our show? Yeah. Because yeah, it's a really, it's a really good great movie. movie. <laughs> okay. But yeah, and that's where I'm getting it. So, so you have that, and then so you we have Disney Animation. Like, there is an official like 61 films in the Disney mm-hmm. Animation Studios yeah. history. And mm-hmm. that's what we generally go by, especially for like when you're talking about these breakdowns, these lists don't tend to dip into the Pixar or the any of the other yeah. studio things. And Pixar was, yeah, distributed, Disney helped distribute a lot of the Pixar films. Until they bought them. 2006, six or seven. I think. And they, between Lucasfilms, Marvel, and Pixar, they paid more for Pixar than the others. Fun fact. But they got well, technology Marvel out but of they that, de- yeah. yeah. So with Pixar, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, yes. Yeah. But with Pixar, yeah, they their films are completely different from the Disney animation studio Mm -hmm. itself. Yeah. And so for us, we wouldn't consider them. If we talk about the company in general, yeah, we have all the 90 Renaissance films. They kind of end like what everyone like would originally think of as Disney, like like the first couple films that comes to their head, Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, those Aladdin, Little Mermaid and the classics. It kind of ends with the death of Wells in Mm -hmm. 94. And we have Eisner and being he's alone and, and he's and basically Katzenberg trying Katzenberg to, yeah, stuff yeah. Until he leaves and, for DreamWorks leaves for DreamWorks mm-hmm. and, and so we have it kind of starts there if we talk about the mm-hmm. company and then we get to Eisner in 2005 or Eisner I, leaving I, in 2005 and Iger taking over, taking over. that's okay. when you would call like if you're talking about the company in general and this experimental so we, era there is probably more success on the Pixar side yeah, during absolutely. these early 2000s mm-hmm. than on the Disney side yeah. right. so when people were excited about an animated movie it was probably the next Pixar movie and not the next Disney movie Incredibles well, yeah, okay. Cars. I think the most successful Disney movie from that that you know the first decade of the uh, the millennium is the Pirates of the Caribbean. I think that's that there that oh, shift yeah. towards yeah. You know, that the animation is second is secondary to hey pirate. We can make some big live action money and some Pixar money. Mm-hmm. We don't really need the Disney Animation Studio to yeah. make money. Well, and that's what I was saying because and if Pixar is very much pushing what animation is in the early two thousand, then the I mean I'm not using classic in your terms but classic in the you know coke classic version of Disney you know like I like I I can see why I can see why from a business point of view it does not make sense to focus on you know Little Mermaid is is a decade old now so that's all it's too retro right like those kids have all grown Mm -hmm. up so I mean I guess those kids are literally you guys right (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know like like of the people who would have been the right age you know they're going off to college now they're certainly not going to watch cartoons anymore. Yeah, well, <laughs> turns out. <laughs> yeah. But, so but yeah, and, okay. and so so with this experimental period, it's 
yeah, it it just seems like it's really losing steam by by the end of like 2002 is when you're mm-hmm. really like, oh, yeah, this steam is out of the train and it is coasting on fumes and Pirates of the Caribbean is doing its thing. And, and Pixar, Pixar is having cars, and which then, and, was a huge success. And, and DreamWorks had, is is kind of crushing it. Yeah. And so, yeah, the so the experimental they own Miramax at this point, so Miramax is also owned by Disney at this time mm-hmm. period on and off. <laughs> Miramax is a weird yeah. studio, but Buena Vista, there's a, you know, there's I think Buena yeah. Vista this one by the so, so, so like so, Treasure Planet comes out in 2002 and then you get Brother Bear and then it's Home on the Range in Brother Bear is better than people think it is. It's, it, it, it's it weird. Is. Yeah. It's true, yeah. but it's but not it, one know, that everyone goes back to. It starts going, okay, so that's 2003 and you have Home in the Range in 2004, Chicken Little in 2005. They start spacing them out. It's, you know, it's mm. barely one a year. Chicken Little in 2005, Meet the Robinsons in 2007. <laughs> Meet so the they Robinsons went over a full year. People that a little bit more of people are like, oh yeah, I remember Meet the Robinsons mm. versus Chicken Little where people are like, Chicken Little is and then not good. Bolt in 2008 and Princess and the Frog in 2009. This is where it gets really sticky about what ends this experimental era. So Mav, what's your initial take on like, okay, we're in these, you know, tail end of the 2000s before we get to the 2010s. What do you think would make a transition point from era to the next? There's Bolt in 2008 and Princess and the Frog in 2009 and then Tangled is the very next film in 2010. 2010. So I would make the same kind of argument here that I made on the comic show, which is that transition it's not going to be necessarily something that happens inside the content per se, but it's the world at large, right? So we are in a corporate merger world. So to me, what matters is the acquisition of stuff like Marvel and Star Wars. Like, it was 2008. Think, yeah. So like, I think that is going to fundamentally change what the company is. Therefore, well, actually it does two things. The MCU happening with, with Iron Man fundamentally changes what cinema is. Since mm-hmm. Disney is so heavily invested in cinema. They've got other, act- you know, obviously Disney makes food, right? Disney makes everything, but they've got other other ways of making money, but they are heavily invested in cinema. So suddenly owning, owning Pixar, suddenly owning Marvel, suddenly owning Lucasfilm means that you've got to diversify what you do corporately, which means that the media has to diversify as well. So I think it's that. I think it's the functionally make a world where media is about IP more IP before content. You know, we in the old days, if I wanted to make a second Little Mermaid movie or a second 101 Dalmatians or, or Snow White or whatever, I sent this direct to video. But now I've got to be able to produce these, you know, I've got to be able Franchises. to produce a, yeah, produce a Frozen 2 because I got to get this franchise going. So I think that functionally changes what things are, at least for that's how I would view it. It is a business decision more so than a content decision, even though content reflects it. But I'm not be, an expert. Yeah. That's how I see it. I think we, but it, I think we could maybe. Uh, make a case for something like Frozen as the point at which Disney supersedes at least for a time Pixar that Frozen is so big so mm-hmm. how you know that Let It Go is everywhere for six months and it is that you know first time in, in decade and it wins it wins the best animated feature Oscar even at the mm-hmm. end of the year without a Pixar but so there is this sudden oh wait Disney matters again and not just as the umbrella for Marvel and 
and Pixar and everything else. You know, and maybe the Oscar, you know, Oscars are political. Maybe they don't matter. But I think that is a uh, <laughs> key to okay. No, Disney's being taken seriously again, and not just as this, you know, corporate umbrella for these companies, but the animation studio matters again. Yeah, Frozen's probably the biggest step back in that direction, and I think there's a little bit of build up to it. The way we break it is uh, after Princess and the Frog and before Tangled. Mm -hmm. Say Princess and the Frog is the last big experiment and then Tangled mm -hmm. is in the era that usually gets called the revival. This is, you know, the deliberate attempt to be renaissance and this do a musical get, with a princess. This is when we get the classic figure of the 2010 princess with the big eyes and, and like the rounded head and we also have the computer the computer animation. That's the animation. reason that we would not include Princess and the Frog in it because Princess and the Frog is clearly doing that revival style, but it's the mm -hmm. last one to do it in 2D animation and they haven't made a 2D film since. And Princess of the Frog was trying to do a musical as well. And they did a good job. The musical oh, yeah, was like, it awesome. is everything that Tangled is except for the animation style. And so for us, that's where we make the breaking point there. Yeah. But a lot of them mm -hmm. mark the experimental era ending around Bolt. Some of them put Bolt into the next era. Which They're seems, wrong. Which seems really weird. Bolt <laughs> feels very much like the experimental stuff and then princess and the frog can feel very much revival we just feel like it's more experimental because it's the last 2d animation but yeah you get this very clear revival princess and the frog tangled you get a winnie the pooh in there kind of randomly One that, just like restoration and we're like winnie the pooh is, is more like the other the previous era but um, it's 2011 but then you so. also you're like 50 50 on whether or not these are like princess princess and musical or musical. if they're Kind of new and creative because you get Wreck-It Ralph, Frozen, Big Hero 6, Zootopia, Moana, and then you get the sequels, Ralph Breaks the Internet, Frozen 2, and then you get streaming, Raya, Encanto, and Strange World. Mm -hmm. And this is when we start to get... And, and now we're up to speed and we're like, okay, what's going on? Where, Where are, are we, we at? So this mm -hmm. week, so Andrew and I, we've broken it down into those five, five eras, the classics, the dark age... The science rental and then the revival or modern or whatever you want to call from around to revival is probably the best revival. terminology. We've been for calling it, it modern, but I think we'll probably start calling it revival now. But then we started talking this week. And we're like, OK, so now are we in a different era? Because some people are world was really different. And people have been talking. Some areas are identifying as of Raya, a streaming era. And that's really covid. You know, just saying like, well, it can't be released in theaters and they haven't had a lot of success in theaters between Raya, which had, I think, no theatrical release and Canto pretty poor Strange World abysmal theatrical release. Yeah. And so is it a streaming era? But I have a theory about breaking it earlier than that and saying, oh, no, there's like something going on in the stories. And that would start about with Moana. And it's a point where, oh, they stopped having villains. Hmm. There hasn't been a villain like for a, like five years. Like a villain figure, like Ursula, Maleficent, Cruella, villain character. Because in, in Moana, there's like no speaking villain unless, I mean, like you can have a villain song with Tomatoa, the crab. There's Kekka, but you know, it's, it's Tafiti. So it's all, so it's all like kind of, in Ralph Breaks the Internet, what's the villain? Ralph's insecurities about losing his friend. In Frozen 2, what's the villain? family history kind of <laughs> Ryan the last dragon what's the villain the disharmony in society in Encanto what's the villain family trauma in Strange World what's the villain family we, trauma we are I guess <laughs> yeah you know like family trauma, not being sensitive are, to the environment it's really weird like there's not there hasn't been a villain figure since Zootopia with Mayor Mayor 
Um, Ma- Mayor Bellwether. Bellwether. That's the name. Mm-hmm. Big Hero 6 has like a, a clear villain. Mayor. Frozen, you can have a clear villain out of Hans. Yeah. It's, you know, a more subversive villain, but it's like, yeah, but there's a villain there. Yeah. So it's that's where it kind of breaks off story wise. Like, maybe we're in a new era. Maybe we're not. wise would end there's like post, in 2019 with the streaming and then mm. JPEG coming in 2020. Okay. I have now we're back question. to Iger, but it's still, you know. Yeah. So, okay. So, and this is where I think, I, I think relying on just it being animation makes it trickier, right? Because exactly. the company, because the company that is Disney is at this point, not just a mega empire conglomerate. Disney is the most important pop culture purveyor on the planet, period. Yeah, so if it doesn't, yeah, even if you don't necessarily care for the Disney specific thing, they own something you care about and maybe you don't even know and i think that when we're yeah. talking so Sports, you guys are espn yeah you know. right that's exactly what's going to get geographic? They, own ESPN. they own national geographic it is they are the czar of culture worldwide in a way that probably isn't healthy or good for the <laughs> planet but that's a different question that said i think that if we go and try to be in the very specific to classically what we think of as disney kind of material you guys went with the Disney stuff, but I think for someone who's not in the weeds of this world, it's kind of hard to distinguish between a Disney and a Pixar. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that especially especially now. That, well, I think now, but I think I think knowing whether or not a turning red counts is weird, right? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like I I happen to know because I look, but like I'll make it even weirder. The fact that one is Disney and one is Pixar between cars and planes is broken. Like that is <laughs> like regular people should not be able to know. That that it is only that is purely a business mm-hmm. decision, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and in the yes, maybe you have a di- maybe you're a fan of one franchise or, or the other because of like functionally, but like that is a weird business thing. Not a mm-hmm. that like like if your five year old knows that one is by Pixar and one is by Disney and knows which one, it's because your five year old is a weird nerd. It's not that's yeah. not normal. Like, say my five year old's a weird nerd. Like, there's no, there's like not even a stylistic difference that you right. could reasonably assume that somebody would look at Luca and Onward and Strange World and say two of these are from the same studio and one of them's from something else. Yeah. And that's a so instead I think that I think streaming matters a little bit, though that's exacerbated by the pandemic happening, which you know, there were decisions made that were made because what can we put in content, you know, in order to mm-hmm. get some cash flow going that I don't think are normal decisions, but I think that they are still cultural decisions. And I think the thing that you guys left out is during all this, not only do we get the streaming, but we also get the advent of the Disney IP revival. You have remakes of the now little remakes, remakes. Yeah. Like, but the live action remakes of Lion King and live Beauty action. Beauty, is, yeah. Beauty well, and the Beast. Right. And the Lion King, is Lion King an animation? Is it live action? Or is it just a really good animation, right? Like, it's just, mm-hmm. yeah, like, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, Lady, and then even outside of the live action remakes that we think of as live action remakes, you've got stuff like, like functional IP successors. I'm thinking your Cruella movies and mm-hmm. your Maleficent uh-huh. movies, like, those are, yeah, the skew remakes. Yes. Yeah. And those, 
fit in that world. So for me, I think that if anything, we're moving into if we want to talk about creatively, I think there's an exploration of kind of a postmodern rehashing of IP that is happening very much in the Disney world where the dragon is eating its own tail here, right? Like, I mean, it's even things that oh, we yeah. haven't even thought of. Like, I'm just thinking, I think there's a Pete in the a Pete's dragon one that nobody yeah. even remembers. Yeah. And, and then, and there's like a, you know, like outside of Disney, the fact that we had, including Disney, we had three Pinocchio films theatrically released last year. Yeah. Now, obviously, Disney didn't invent Pinocchio, but all of those can happen. Like Disney might not have invented Pinocchio, but it's the default version in the heads of most yeah, people. Like, right? it, like <laughs> any Pinocchio you make is in context, knowing that Disney made the definitive Pinocchio that people right. are going to be thinking of. Yeah. And Del Toro just won an Oscar for it. So, you know, I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but I'm saying it's Del Toro's Pinocchio that came out last year. Guillermo Del Toro's Pinocchio that came out last year mm-hmm. exists within a world that it must be necessarily compared to mm-hmm. the cartoon. And you go, oh, this is a grown up one. This one's serious. I mean, like, whatever you're going to say from 60 years ago. <laughs> right. And it's, and it, but it's very much different from 60 years ago, a cartoon not different from i mean it is but like right. it's not being compared to the book it's being compared to the cartoon so i think right. that we've i think that what we're dealing with now is a world where disney is the default pop culture and, yeah, I, I and mean, everything's got to be viewed in that context which is why i think company wise it kind of starts around 2006 2008 when the acquisitions start or like the, the big acquisitions it, start. It, it recontextualizes disney as a company yes because i'm the yeah. youngest one in this group i was still in high school oh god i'm the oldest person here that never happens <laughs> during i had i was a freshman in college when frozen came out and that was 10 years ago so mm-hmm. when 2010 happened and tangled happened i was sophomore i think a sophomore in high school and at that point like everyone starts in high school everyone starts going like oh disney's going to take over the world disney's going to mm-hmm. start mm-hmm. doing all this disney is like this is disney well, is done everyone so so Mav, you know the the box office game that we play. I've looked mm-hmm. back at stats, and four out of five of the top five year over year are, are usually Disney. a Disney property in some mm-hmm. form, either a Star Wars or a Marvel or a live action yeah. remake or an animated film. Not every year, not the like, pand- not the first like year of the pandemic. Out of the last yeah. five out of the last six years, it's like okay, four out of five pick a Disney film. Well, yeah. I think it, we live in a world where I mean, see, and this is why I think maybe it, it's impossible to know what era you're in at the time. That's always that's a problem mm-hmm. of pop culture studies. You can't, you know, you can't put your finger on a moving target and from the inside of the target, right? Like that's, there's no way of actually doing this, but we can study the world around us. And I think that you can say we've like, it's no longer the acquisitions era because they're done acquiring for the most part, right? Like there, there yeah. is a serious question going on where I see people fundamentally asking, will Disney ever be able to buy DC comics? was a question Slash Warner the, Brothers yeah and then that became so. can they buy Warner Brothers like the fact right. that Disney the fact that Disney as a corporation owns 20th Century Fox like that is mm-hmm. an unthinkable thing for me someone who was born in 1974 that's an unthinkable sentence for me to say like as late as the year 2000 what do you mean Disney owns 20th Century Fox that doesn't make different sense. studios yes yeah. <laughs> right and- so so we, it's a weird yeah. thing. And that's just how it is now that, you know, that, oh, no, this is, you know, and it goes beyond for our audience. A big the big visible thing is and now they can put X-Men 
in in Marvel movies, but there's so much more to it than that. Like Disney oh, yeah. just owns a content library that goes back a hundred years. And I'm talking about Disney's content library. They just bought another one that goes back on like that's mm-hmm. weird. And uh, like to the point to where I can't say that by the end of the decade, they don't just own Warner or Sony like it could mm-hmm. just yeah. reasonably happen. And so it's a weird thing to like sort of think of Disney as an animation studio at all anymore. Mm-hmm. Feels odd. It is a and studio that happens yeah. to own an animation studio. It's <laughs> not just animation and it's not just entertainment either. Like we also right. have so many different things. There's all the merchandise Mm -hmm. there's the parks and entertainment where they have cruise lines they currently have five cruise line five five ships with a couple others on the way they have a whole thing called adventures by disney where you can travel the world and visit things with a specific disney tour guide you have the parks on three parks on three continents with with three and eight three Mm -hmm. three parks in asia one park in europe and two here in, in north america you you have so many things with parks and entertainment like they just are all that you have tv you have sports. live action you have sports you have national geographic you have all of the acquisitions you have the animation studio it's all under disney and so many other companies are influenced by Disney or were started because someone left the Disney company. It's just... Yeah, like DreamWorks exists because of Disney offshoots. Yes, it's all... The whole world without Disney would be completely different. And yeah, there are people who are like, okay, I hate Disney because Disney owns everything. everything. I hate Disney because that I like this one film. Oh, wait, that's owned by Disney. Like, I've heard someone actually say that, like, be like, I hate Disney. And I'm like, okay, what are some of your favorite films? And then they named someone and I'm like, oh, you know that this film is owned by Disney. And they're like, oh, I hate that so much. And it's a reasonable way to feel. I mean, it's (laughs) it is the way I'm thinking about it, though, like aside from everything that they own, just the logic of them being such an overarching thing to where 10 years ago there was the presumption that Disney will once again get copyright law changed so that Mickey Mm -hmm. Mouse never falls into public domain because that's a copyright law in America has changed at least three times through lobbying specifically from the Walt Disney Corporation because we have to keep changing the laws to stop Mickey Mouse from falling in uh, Steamboat Willie, I should say, but the first Mickey Mouse, like early Mickey Mouse to stop that from falling into public domain. We have functionally changed how copyright law works in the United States multiple times. Now we have that will happen. Figure that out. No, I think it's a year actually. It's I think it's closer. Yeah. yeah, It's it's going to be like next year or the year after that. And they're going to let it happen. Yeah, they're just going to let it happen because we've reached a point where the Walt Disney Corporation does not care if Steamboat Willie falls into the public domain. That's Mm -hmm. weird. The fact that they're just like, yeah, whatever. We've made our money. It's like a company that owns everything is just like, yeah, we own Star Wars now. Not concerned with whether or not you're remaking our hundred year old Mickey Mouse cartoon. You know, they're going to they're going to continue using Mickey as their corporate logo. But like, when's the last time? 
time Mickey Mouse, the functional, you know, the most important thing at Disney is Mickey Mouse. But when's the last time Mickey Mouse really mattered to Disney? Like they own a whole streaming network empire right now. And I don't think they're producing Mickey Mouse content. They have been making Mickey Mouse content in the last several mm-hmm. years. I hate yeah. it. I think it's the, the <laughs> animation for Mickey Mouse is it's very it, weird. It's like, it's not oh, my favorite, this is not my but jam. they did just come up with a, the first Disney, the first Mickey Mouse attraction. And yeah, so they do stuff so in the parks. They I, have, they've always been doing it on Disney Junior. There's Mickey so, Mouse mm-hmm. Fun House, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. And so our kids are watching new Mickey Mouse stuff for Disney Junior pretty regularly. And so as a marketing to children brand, it's been yeah, pretty stable yeah. for quite a while, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. but it's just well, not. Because, but my point being, they're not going to defend it mercilessly like they used to because they don't have to anymore. And I think that yeah. functionally makes them a different mm-hmm. company. Yeah, well, it does that point. Mickey is still useful. The mouse ears are still useful right. as a symbol. But, you know, and it's, it's, the thing mm-hmm. is, it's always been that way. Mickey's, you know, Walt loved Mickey, but Mickey, Donald Duck is always more popular than Mickey after about 1930. Three. Once they started making Donald Duck shorts, that was what mm-hmm. was selling. Mm-hmm. If you look at the you know production, the mm-hmm. production of the shorts, we get more and more Donald and Goofy and less just Mickey shorts because uh, people want to see these other characters. And Disney's very protective of you know mm-hmm. they don't want Mickey to be too bad, so like you know it's a lot less fun. But yeah, there's mm-hmm. always this process. And then it's even the not you know the '90s when they are the Sonny Bono copyright act and all that. It's Eisner trying to okay, what would Walt Walt would defend Mickey to the death and now we're like yeah now Mickey doesn't really matter mouse ears matter and he would defend Mickey to the death because he lost his original first mm-hmm. character of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit yeah. and he yeah. was like I'm never going to let mm-hmm. my characters ever get into someone else's hand they are going to be mine and so now the fact that mm-hmm. Mickey Mouse his it was all started by a mouse the first Mickey Mouse character is about to enter public domain is just and they're not gonna fight to the death for it is kind of weird. but i also think i think i think part of it is that disney is big enough that they don't have to think about Mm -hmm. is somebody gonna Mm -hmm. get this confused like i don't think anyone's ever gonna be confused if disney wanted to just blatantly announce or just like blatantly (laughs) say to everyone hey make sure you know that's not our mickey mouse could make sure that everybody knew that period they would yes because what here's what's going to happen and and i just checked by the way uh, public domain day 2025 is when it will happen so mickey mouse is a couple years disney well public domain day is january 1st so they're detect they're protected through the end of of 2024 so they've got till december 31st Mm -hmm. of next year as we record this to own mickey mouse as he appeared in steamboat willie so you won't be able to use white gloves for another 10 years after that for instance things like that like Mm -hmm. mickey didn't use so mickey as he first appeared falls into the public domain at the beginning becomes such a specific thing that people can Mm -hmm. pull from that it's almost not useful well it is because what will happen is without a doubt someone will produce a mickey mouse blood and honey (laughs) immediately right like yes there will be a there will be a steamboat willie remake that is a low budget horror film that will come out immediately and it will be chosen in the box office yeah (laughs) right but it will be chosen in the box office game by katya and much like Mm -hmm. blood and honey was this year and she'll make no money on it because it's a clever thing as a thing and i think what will happen is and this is probably another show you know we've gone a long time now but i think what will happen is there will be attempts to use the ip because 
says, oh, my God, we can use Mickey Mouse and everyone and their brother will want to just because they can. But Mm -hmm. I don't know that there's usefulness to doing it anymore. Mm -hmm. And other than like, it's kind of clever that you'll be able to because you you said, Walt, you know, like Walt wanted to defend this till death. And he did death plus 60 years. Walt died 60 years ago. (laughs) And with people creating things with Mickey, once he enters the public domain, they're going to be like all over it for just a little bit of time. And then they're going to realize, oh, it's not worth it because they're not going to make anything from it. They're not. Everyone's going to be like, but that's not Mickey. Like, what are you doing? You're crazy. That's fine. And that will be it will be interesting. I have you know, I am interested to see what happens, what comes of that when it happens. But it is an exercise and, you know, it's an exercise in making yet another Dracula or another Sherlock Holmes. Right. (laughs) You know, so so we've resolved nothing is what I'm getting at. (laughs) Yep. This is fun, though. This was I mean, I learned a lot. I hope listeners learn a lot. Thank you to all three of you for doing this. I mean, there's I have follow up questions. I'm sure our listeners will have follow up questions. Please leave them in the comments because I think that I'm wondering most is this whole, you know, what era are we in now? Where do we go from here? And the answer is, I mean, they're going to make more Disney content. And if and to the extent that they run the entire world of pop culture, you know, you said there's 61 films, you know, there'll be 63 by the end of the year. Right. No, they're only making one animated. This year. Yeah, they're just doing one. Yeah. So yeah, there should be 62. After mm-hmm. Wish. Yeah. So I don't know. And I don't want to say never because it's weird, but like I can't imagine a world now where Disney does not control all of pop culture because they just want one there's nothing left right like there i mean there are things that are left but the fact that they own so much of the media landscape and again mm-hmm. we're we're focusing on america but worldwide they own mm-hmm. so yeah. much oh, in the media yeah. landscape that it is hard to conceive of a world where they where in, they in, don't just control so much of it yeah in literally 100 years they've gone from being completely bankrupt for, for start, starting from nothing to this huge worldwide empire well i think of us maybe mav is the only one that was kind of born into a world before Disney started that big comeback that maybe that was, you know, there was a period. Barely. I was born in 74. Yeah, so barely. yeah. This brief period <laughs> yes. where Disney is not the dominant mm-hmm. worldwide force that it is. But, you know, for most people, for a lot of, you know, any of my students have all grown up with, yep, yeah, Disney's everywhere. It's everything all the time in a way that I could, mm-hmm. you know, looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess there wasn't a Disney channel when I was born. Or yeah, we didn't have, you know, Disney comics weren't being printed when I was born, but there is, you know, we're in a whole new world. It's one of the few things that when I'm teaching, it's one of the few cultural references where I just assume that all of my students, I teach college, so my students are typically between 17 and 23-ish, right? I can generally assume that anything that is a Disney brand message or media meme, I just assume that they will know it. Like for like, so if it's a Harry Potter, I'll say, hey, probably most of you have read Harry Potter at some point, and I know that most of them have, and they'll go, yeah, but we kind of hate her now because blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, like, so there's a little bit of that, right? And I can say, and I can even say, you know, going back, it's old to them, but I can say, you've all seen a Seinfeld, right? Or you've all seen Modern Family. And I get like 80%, right? Like with most cultural references, who knows who the Kardashians are? They all know who they are. 80% have seen it. But if I go, all right, high school musical, this was out when you guys were kids. They all go, yeah, we've seen high school music. Like they just like that is just, that is fundamentally. And we didn't really talk about like that whole era of, we, we touched on it briefly, but there's an era of the Disney sitcom that is just very normal 
to that generation so much so that I was trying to, I was making a comparison in a slideshow recently in class where I had just different sitcom families that I used. And so on one slide, so I had, I think like families slash friend groups, right? So I had, I had like blackish, I had in modern family and cosmic show. I don't remember who else. And then I had the cast of good luck, Charlie and everybody in the class is like, Oh my God, it's good luck, Charlie. Well, because they are, <laughs> because the one that's weird to me, they're all just like, yes, of course we've seen good luck, Charlie, sir. You know, And like, I wonder how many of our listeners who are older are going, what the hell is good luck, Charlie? But to my students, Good Luck Charlie is this weird, ubiquitous sitcom mm-hmm. that was just produced for people who were 10 years old 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's what it was. And oh my God. They, and Miley Cyrus was a Disney star. And I just, I'm just remembering that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so there's so much of it that just like, you know, how do you even, you know, reconcile it? You know, but that's all stuff for another episode. In the <laughs> meantime, where can people find you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at PFX Ryan. At some point, I will leave that 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 hell site. But so far, that's where I'm at. You know, I'm around. I'm on I'm on Facebook as well. But Twitter, Twitter's if you care about my Disney opinions. That's the place to, to find me and hear about my latest thoughts on the Bob or whatever happens to be going on at Disney <laughs> this week. I love oh god the bobs that's like such a perfect way of putting it uh, Kestra Andrew I know you guys can go separately or alone but I know the answer so we are Disney Animation Minute Essentials you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Dis Minute and on Facebook we have a Facebook group Disney Animation Minute Secret Essential Listener Society or a Damsels Group that's where you can find us and we are part of the Dueling Genre Network so you can find us anywhere there yeah with all the Dueling Genre podcasts mm-hmm and I and when's the new season starting? Yep. Whenever. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, no so, problem. Uh, sure thing. Baby, I mean, we've been pl- saying this for over a year that we are going to release soon. We're like we two thirds recorded and we and tried really hard to get a lot done before <laughs> the baby got here. And then I don't know, like the last six months of that pregnancy really flew by. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I'm true. Yeah, that's easy for you. Last few months of that pregnancy really Yes, yes, that's the one who didn't have to I mean, hard work. It both felt long <laughs> and short. So for me, I was like, oh, this is taking forever. But also at the same time, how have I gone from two months pregnant to eight months to, pregnant? Like yeah. this is weird. But yeah, so it's happening. They, it's happening. It will be released this year. I am putting it out there and I'm putting that pressure on Andrew. <laughs> I'm looking forward. I uh, will be guests that our listeners have heard before on that show, yes. myself included. So I am very much looking forward to it. I, I had a lot of fun recording my episodes. I am looking forward to it. And just, I guess, as a preview, are you guys saying what the topic is this year? Oh, yeah. 101 Dalmatians. Yes. So, so yeah, so look forward to those releasing. And I'm sure we will have you on. At, at the very least, I'm sure Andrew will just see a topic and text me at the two in the morning. It's like, I want to be on that episode, which is fine. <laughs> just, we should do this. That's how I literally end up on your, mm-hmm. on both of your shows. So, <laughs> so and you want to plug the other show or? Oh, you can also listen to the protagonist podcast. That mm-hmm. is something that I do with Joe Dorowski, who's been on this show a number of times. Mm-hmm. Most recently, a few weeks ago, I think. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all the places, always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show, all those same places, except Instagram, because they hate us and they are bastards. <laughs> and I don't know. And I'm very upset. And I think everyone should write Instagram and complain that the Vox Popcast account has been blocked 
on Instagram and it is very upsetting to me. And so please, someone fix this for me. They don't really give us a way to get it fixed. They've said, you know, you have been removed for violations and they don't say what the violations are. And it's weird because, you know, all that Instagram account does is post our episode artwork. And I don't know why we're not there anymore. And I am very sad. You can tell by the way that I'm, you know, ranting about it. <laughs> anyway, you can follow us on places where we have social media at Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com where we post about whatever we're going to be talking about next week. And you can leave us comments on this or any other show. You can suggest topics like Andrew did, you know, (laughs) and you'll end up just being on the show by, you know, just like writing us and saying, Hey, you should do a show on whatever. And, you know, a lot of times we just, we just decide, yeah, that sounds like an easy thing to do. Um, if you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope you do, then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And do us a favor. Leave us a five star review. If you leave us a five star review, not just a rating by like, you know, you write a little something about how we're awesome and how it's the best podcast ever that boosts the algorithm, makes us more popular and really helps us out. And also it just makes me feel good. I like to sit down and read little messages about how great i am so you know that's what i do that you know i mean you can mention the other co-host too but just say hey awesome show we love mav that's there there, i've written the review for you just post that and give us five stars and that will really help the show (laughs) i would like to thank maximilian of thought for music for epic theme song going ever so more epically and playing us out i'd once again like to thank all three of my guests for joining me i'd like to thank you for listening and we'll see you next time goodbye